Um, anyway, here we go, alright. So the first movie I went and saw, what, three years ago, when the first one came out? I saw it and I said, I just can't stand this movie. It's senseless violence, it's kids, I just, I can't take this. But the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what, I think that's part of the reason it was written. So at the end of this whole series, we saw it Saturday night or Friday night. So I'm here watching this thing. And you know, you just get so disgusted with the violence and with death and with war. And that's the entire point. It's it's been really funky and the, the the kind of tools that, that I feel like God uses to speak to me. And, and so I'm here watching this movie, but I feel like I was watching it with Jesus, just like, you know, do you not see just how pointless, how terrible death is, how useless this is. So you've never seen the hundred years, okay. If you're watching it going, yeah, more people die, you're like, okay, something wrong with you, okay. Prayer team will be up here after service, we'll take care of you, okay. So here I am, and it, it's almost like, you know, I can almost feel the Spirit of God inside of me just grieving, because this is so wrong. You know, are you able to see? What this is, how, how contrary to who I am this is. How in the world that I'm going to create, when I return, when I establish my kingdom, this will cease to exist. You're going to catch on sometime this morning, I promise you. In human history, we have never had sustained peace without force. Think about that for a second. In all of human history, we have never had long periods of peace without the threat of death. The only times in human history we have ever been able to sustain peace is when someone else has the bigger sword, the bigger army, nuclear weapons, whatever it is. The only form of peace we have as humans is a facade. It's a lie. We've never created peace on our own. We've only bought time until the next blood is shed. There is something so fundamentally wrong about this picture. There's something inside of you that has to tell you this is not right. It shouldn't be this way. So imagine what it would look like if there were people on the earth of all different races, languages, backgrounds, incomes, educations, who were unified, who had peace, who loved each other. Not because they're worried if they, you know, pushed back that they would die, but they were compelled by love. You have to get this, okay? Unity is the most foreign thing to human nature. Think about that. How hard is it to keep unity with even the person you like the most on the earth? Think about it. The friends you have typically, the friends that we get along with the best are the ones who are the most like us. It's a, and even that, it's a facade. We only get along because there's nothing for us to disagree about because we happen to agree. But even if that friendship goes a little bit deeper, then all of a sudden division. The friendships with the least conflict are the ones who stay on the surface level. 
Me and my buddies, we just talk football, and that's all we talk. We don't talk no politics, none of that stuff. We just talk football. We're good buddies. You know what I mean? Because we fundamentally are self-centered, selfish things. That is what we are. We are flawed. There's something that's just slightly off inside of all of us. And so everything in our lives takes so much effort to keep it stable. But yet, here comes Jesus and he has this stupid idea to me. The hope of the world is going to be this group of people who have nothing in common except for myself. And their my love for them should be enough to overcome all differences, to overcome all disagreements, all grievances, all hurt and pain. My love for them should be enough to create a family from people who are strangers. It's going to sink in sometime this morning. Jesus was very clear. For anyone who would actually catch a glimpse of who He is and what He's here to do, you would leave everything for Him. If someone would see the kingdom of God, if someone could pierce through all the distractions and lies and catch a glimpse of who Jesus, who God is, you would sell everything just for that. Because that's what you were made for. You know, in this, this whole series about the church... You know, it sounds great on paper, but we all know the truth, right? Sounds great. See you next Sunday. Maybe. If I don't have something else going on, right? Well, we're getting more quiet today, aren't we? Start off with a bang. What really gets me, I think, the most is that, you know, when I begin to, to think and pray, about what effect would I have on my neighbor, on the world, if, if just me and ten people could find a way to love each other and to be the church like we see in the Bible. What, I mean, what effect would that have on Alma? What effect would that have on region? If people could see a clear picture of Jesus, what kind of change would that create? And it sounds cute to you, but here's the thing. It would shock everyone because they've never seen it before. You have never seen people who are deeply in love with nothing to gain from it. You've never seen that in your entire life. People who deeply love each other, who have nothing in common except for one thing, and deeply, sincerely, not fake, love each other and are unified while being completely different. You've never seen that. And that is the point, people. I think the scariest thing about the Scriptures is that it becomes very clear to us. The world will never see who Jesus is in time to receive Him unless the church begins to look like Him. That is the scariest thing in the entire Scriptures. Is that there are people whose their eternal future lies on us. What was Jesus thinking? But if we could just get it, if one person, two people, four people, ten people could just see it, 
could see what possibilities there are. If Jesus would be my everything, and Jesus would be your everything, then maybe we can make this work. But if Jesus is my number two, my number three, my number 15, we have no hope whatsoever in making this work. But if Jesus is your King, if He is your Savior, if He's the one who holds your entire eternal future, your 100 years, 100 years, 100 years, 10,000 year future in His hands, and you would make that the purpose of your life, then there's hope for us. We might be able to pull this off. Amen. So I have an entire sermon that's you know, great, you know, tons of good points. But this is the point. It's all cute, but we must commit to it. And the scary thing about it is it's not just an it. It's not just a building or a logo or a program or a Sunday service. It's got faces. It's, it's you. If I would commit to him, that means I'm going to commit to you. And that's dangerous. It's risky. Because the odds are every one of us will be offended and hurt and frustrated and angry and let down and disappointed. I'm excited. <laughs> but if Jesus is my everything, what's the matter? What is there to lose? If everything of my future is in His hands and it can't be touched or harmed by anybody, what do I have to lose? Put myself in danger. I think even the most, the hardest part that's affect our hearts is not just that we're not doing it. It's that there are people throughout the world who are, who are bleeding, who are dying to walk this out. And they're doing it alone. Let's pray. How about that? <laughs> Father, the truth is this is an impossible task that you charge us with. It is impossible for us to be the family and the church, the followers of your son that you call us to be. It's impossible for us to be the hope of this world without you. And this morning, Lord, I ask that we would just come to such a conviction by your spirit and your word that we would be moved to commit our lives to you and to your church, but that we would also be moved to commit ourselves to leaning upon you to make it happen. I thank you for your spirit and your grace that enable us to do things that are impossible in our own strength. Everyone said. Move on to the sermon, right? You guys ready? <laughs> That's just a warm-up, right? Okay. Here we go. All right, so we've learned uh, four things so far about the church, right? We've learned that the church is unified, the church is safe, the church is sacrificial, and the church, we learned last week from Pastor Wilma, is fearless. What do you think about Pastor Wilma, by the way? You guys had such hope. You know, she's going to come in here and just, you know, encourage everyone and be uplifting and fun. She comes in here just, man, I mean, I, I was in the back row just like, oh, Lord, have mercy on us all. I mean, she, she's a phenomenal woman, one of my favorites. All right, so we've learned all these things, and we've also established this. This seemed impossible. How in the world are we supposed to do this thing? And we see in the scriptures 
we see that on the one hand of it, the first step to making this happen is committing to it. Okay, uh, we saw the preview uh, video posted on Facebook. You know, homo humanum, right? This unified effort. This, it's a unified exertion. It's almost like um, when you're working out and lifting heavy. It's just that that full exertion of all of your energy, and we do it together. So the first step to being the church is all of us together. We uh, try. Imagine if we would just try. That's the first step. But here's the second one. The second key to doing this thing that's impossible is the Spirit of God. The one thing that you cannot avoid in the, the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit is all through the entire thing. You cannot flip the page without saying, and filled with the Spirit, and endowed by the Spirit, and the Spirit spoke, and the Spirit did. And it's like, okay, so I guess the Holy Spirit's kind of a big deal. We cannot be the church without committing to it. And we cannot be the church without the Spirit of God inside us. Now, before we open the Scriptures, one of the things I love about this church, we are diverse. Okay, We all have, we all have different backgrounds. You've all been to different churches that taught you different things about the Holy Spirit. Give me 30 minutes and act like you've never heard about the Holy Spirit in your life. Please. Okay, now again, you know, if you've been taught good things, bad things... I guarantee you it's going to be a little bit different. Assume you've never heard this before. Wipe the slate clean for 30 minutes, okay? If I do this, if it sounds weird, you, you can still walk away. You know, okay, forget that. But give me 30 minutes. Okay? You know, suspend your previous understandings for 30 minutes. Here's the first thing that you have to understand. You and I have been convinced that we can live our lives for Jesus. That we can be Christians without the Spirit of God for a very simple reason. Because you and I have not been taught that to be a Christian, we must be His witnesses. We must be unified. We must love each other. We must sacrifice. And we must be fearless. Because you didn't know that that came with the package when you chose to follow Jesus, you assumed you could do it without His Spirit. Let me tell you this. If you would open the scriptures and start reading, you would instantly be overwhelmed. I cannot do this. But yet Jesus never said, oh yeah, follow me if you can. <laughs> come, come on now, people. Okay. The key to you know, eternal life is what? Repent. Stop going that direction and do what? Follow me. So, if you want to have life after this life, what are we doing? following Jesus. And the difficult part is, all of this is impossible without the Spirit of God. Now, the book of Acts. Remember, imagine you've never heard of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is not what you think it's about. The book of Acts is not a story of just the acts of the Spirit. The book of Acts is not just a story about Pentecost. The book of Acts is not just a story about the Gospel. The book of Acts is a very specific focus. It starts with the seed. The church. The book of Acts is the story of the birth of the kingdom of heaven on the earth through its people. And we call that the church. Come on, guys, you have to wake up. Good morning, how are you doing? Good. It's good to see you guys. Uh, yeah, you know, the hog's lost. Yeah, I know, you know, we shouldn't have been you know, kicking a field goal, right? Okay. Shake it off. Man, we lost Mississippi State four times in a row. 
Shake it off, right? We cannot do this thing with the Spirit of God. And the, the book of Acts is a story. It is the story of how the church is created. Let's go ahead and, and take us back to the K-Cup series, right? So, the plan of God has always been what? The plan of God was to have a people and a what? Place. Alright. And His plan was to be the people's king, right? He would be their God and they would be His people. He would lead them and rule them. In the Old Testament, what happens? He said, I will be your king. And they said, no, give us man, right? This happens three or four times in the Old Testament. So then we have God try to fix things, okay? To reconcile, to bring things back to the way they're supposed to be, the way that we saw it in the Garden of Eden, right? And so who's He sent? His son. And His son comes with a title. The title is Messiah. What does Messiah mean? No one was paying attention. Okay. Messiah means two things. The understanding of Messiah was that he would be the chosen one who would save Israel, and he would also be the chosen one to rule Israel, to lead Israel. Does that make sense? And so that's where we see the titles of Jesus. He is Lord and what? Savior. Oh. So the question is this. As God was coming to reinstate the way things should be, he's coming to have a people and to be their king to lead us. And then he dies and he, and he leaves us. So how is he going to lead us if he's not physically here? Come on now, guess. Holler it out. Thank you very much. Okay. When you begin to study the Holy Spirit, one of the titles of the Holy Spirit, well, definitions of him, if you would, in the words used, is he is the Spirit of Christ. Okay? And it's a really interesting relationship him and Jesus have. But what we see in the Scriptures is that we are literally a people led and governed and directed by a king, and that's Jesus. But in His stead, the Spirit of God is the one who leads and directs and guides the people of God. Too many dots too early? Is that what we're getting to here so far? We cannot be following Jesus without His Spirit. Now, we follow Jesus through the Word of God, okay? That's the more sure word of prophecy we call it, okay? It's the thing that never changes. But we follow with the, the Word of Jesus, His instructions, His directions, okay? And we follow with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, okay? And so we, we, to be the church, have to be people who are led by the Spirit. And so to top all this off, I want to show you how all this happens. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The context of this, remember, you cannot forget, Luke, he is the author, okay, of this book. Remember, he's just written the Gospel of Luke. He's just foretold the entire story of Jesus, his establishment of the kingdom, and his desire to rule those people, right? And so now, Luke is going to connect the dots. He's saying, here's what Jesus came to do, and here's what happened because of what Jesus did. So we pick up here in the first chapter, let's go to verse uh, 4. Actually... Three. How about that? How about three? Three is good? Alright. Acts 1 verse 3. So after his suffering, he showed himself to these men, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Stop there. 40 days in the scriptures is always a symbol of preparation. Okay? In the Old Testament, prophets, and in the New Testament, even with Jesus himself. Okay? 40 days is always a time of preparation. Meaning, whatever God is calling a person or people to do, they always go through preparation before they're ready to do it. So here's the, the last preparation for his disciples. So for 40 days, he spoke to them about what? Is it up? Spoke to them about what? 
the kingdom of God. Has that thing hit in enough to you yet? Okay, three months, kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. So he shows up. He's got 40 days to prepare them to save the entire human race. And what does he teach them about? The kingdom of God. Remember, this, this is the focus of the scriptures. So, um, it says there in verse 4, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptismo, okay, it means to immerse, to be, to be overwhelmed by. Um, picture a wave, okay? If you guys have been in the ocean, you're standing there, you know, just kind of with the wet water's about here. When that one big wave just goes right over your head, it immerses you, okay? And so he's saying, you're going to be immersed, soaked, drenched, filled, okay, completely saturated with the Spirit of God, okay? If you guys aren't excited yet, I, I, I don't know. So, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He's been teaching them for 40 days, and they said, I don't get it. It's okay. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, why do we receive the Spirit of God upon us? Why must we not just have a little bit of God, but why must we be immersed in the Spirit of God? And it says to be what? For power and what? To be Understand that to be his witness, the understanding it wasn't just to say, you know, they weren't just witnesses of saying he was alive. They were witnesses to what God was doing in this man. And so for them to fully communicate and to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one to save all of mankind, they needed something because they couldn't do it on their own. They couldn't just do it with words. They couldn't just prove it. They couldn't just be nice people. They had to have the Spirit of God immersing them to be witnesses. Now, this is a continuation from the last uh, verse we see in the Gospel of Luke, where we see Jesus give them the Great Commission. He tells them to go into all the world and to make disciples. This is, this is connecting those two dots. The way that these men were to do this, the way that the men are supposed to go to all the world and to bring salvation to the world is with the Spirit of God in them, through them, soaking them, just saturating them. So do you feel saturated this morning? Yes. Well, good. <laughs> we got one person. Anyone else feel saturated this morning with the Spirit of God? Three. Good. We're going to change this morning. Let me tell you, we just need 12. Here's the problem. We go through days, weeks, months, and years without being moved by the Word of God or led by the Spirit of God. Think about how many times in your life you've had an active kind of a moment where something in the Word of God or where the Spirit of God just was pulling, leading, pushing, in some way, shape, or form, getting you to do something outside of your normal routine. We're trying to get you to make an important decision not based on logic or circumstances, but because God said so. When was the last time for what I love about the book of Acts is these guys didn't know what they were supposed to do. They were so lost. I love that. 
They had no choice but wait around until God spoke to them. So, I don't know what's going to happen. We don't really have any swords. He said to kind of, you know, we're, we're supposed to start his kingdom. And, and the Romans, there's lots of soldiers. I don't know what to do. And then God would speak. Okay, let's do that. And then they would stop. Okay, I don't know what to do next. Do you know what to do next? And they would just wait. Okay, okay. So God spoke again. The problem with us is we think we know. The problem with us is we've gotten very good at learning how to, to manage our lives, to do our own thing, and to make enough room for God in our lives where we feel okay about it. These men had nothing. The reason these men were heartbroken, the reason these men were lost and confused, the reason these men were hiding out alone, it wasn't just because they were being tracked, there wasn't anyone trying to kill them. Okay? They, were, they had nothing left. They had lost everything to follow this man. And to their knowledge, all of their hope, everything they had on this earth had just been pulled from them. So when he came back and starts teaching them about this, when he tells them, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to be the one to show you how to do this, they believed. If you woke up this morning thinking about eternity, not about the day, you would live differently. Challenge yourself. Think about that. If your first thought wasn't about the day, or about something to do, or about something to accomplish, or about, you know, getting to enjoy this thing at the end of the day. If your first thought when you woke up was eternity. There's a life after this one. There's a God who is real. He's trying to speak to me right now. Your day would be different. Your choices would be different. How you react to everything in your life would look different. This is the, the struggle that we have. And I have it just as much as you do. But here's the key. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the one who constantly is able to jerk our attention, to nudge us forward when we want to stay still and comfortable. He's the one who's able to constantly begin to pull us and lead us and focus us on the eternal life that awaits us. He's the one who's able to keep us fixated on the one thing that matters, not on the multiple things that don't. You guys have your, have your Bibles? Let's go to John 16, verse 7. John 16, verse 7. Jesus, he starts talking to the disciples about the Spirit of God long before he passes away. Um, in chapter 14, one of the parts I like the most, he tells them, he tells them that they're about to go through a difficult time, but, but what's important is that he's always with them. He says, my Spirit is with you. But what's awesome is he says this. He says, but there will be a day when the Spirit of God is in you. Did you hear that? He tells them, Always I am with you. I'm always near to you. But there's going to be a day where I'm not just near you. I'm in you. And so in chapter 16, I want to show you what happens when the Spirit of God is inside of us. Uh, verse 7 here in chapter 16. He says, uh, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. I mean, think about that. It's better the Holy Spirit be with you than Jesus. Think about that. Think about that. I mean, it's better for the Spirit of God to be in you than for Jesus to physically be walking around. 
He can do more change on this earth with His Spirit inside of each of us than the man Jesus walking around doing crazy, amazing things. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. When He comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because the men do not believe me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. Let's just pause there for a second. What kind of a promise is this? When the Spirit of truth comes, when the counselor, the one who's going to kind of like walk you baby steps through this thing, the counselor, okay? I think of a guidance counselor. You know, it's like, okay, here's how we read, you know, A, B, C, D, F, G. I mean, come on. Did anyone have that class? Okay, maybe just me. All right. Uh, so the guidance counselor is coming, okay? And the Spirit of truth is going to guide us in all truth. He's going to, okay, just take one little step this way. And now I'll explain that. Here's what's going to come next. Just one little step. What an amazing promise this is. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Are you seeing this correlation between King Jesus leading his people through his Spirit? He's not going to speak on his own. He's only going to speak what I'm telling him to speak. He's going to be the one who's going to tell you. He's going to take everything of mine and explain it to you. He's going to remind you of all the things I've taught you. He's going to help you walk this thing out. He's going to be one to lead you. Now, the, the question has to arise here, okay? So, how are we to be supernatural? Are we just, just supposed to walk around speaking, you know, all sorts of crazy gibberish? You know, is that what it means? Silence. Okay, here, here we go. Here's the first way that we are to be supernatural. We are to be supernatural in our witness. Remember, that's the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, is to empower you, okay, to confirm who Jesus is. Think about that. I don't care what you've been taught by the Holy Spirit. This is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, to bring glory to the Son, to uplift Jesus, so that men would be drawn to Jesus, and so the Father would be glorified in the Son. He's not just here to give you things. He's not just here for goosebumps. He's not just here for good services. His primary purpose, his assignment on the earth, is to enable you to be more than what you can on To enable you to, to show everyone who Jesus truly is. Power is witness and proof of the kingdom, but fruit of the Spirit and character is witness of the king. Let's say that again. Power is witness and proof of the kingdom, but fruit of the Spirit and character is witness of the king. In the book of Acts, every time the gospel of the kingdom is, is proclaimed, some kind of sign and wonder confirms it. Something not natural, something not ordinary, shows up when they say the gospel of the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom is coming. The king is coming, and here's the proof of it. Bam, something went happen. I heard a great story. Um, is it Shambach, Pastor Larry, who it was? Um, he was in the Middle East. 
and he was teaching them the gospel of the kingdom, saying, there's the king Jesus is coming, his kingdom is coming. And he said, so to prove it, I'll do this. He said, you know, I want everyone who's sick to come up front. And he said, so in the name of uh, Allah, be healed. Nothing happens. In the authority of King Jesus, be healed. Proof. Seeing it. You have no proof without the Spirit of God. Here's the, the power of the Spirit is what confirms the kingdom of God. Because again, the kingdom is a place where all things are made right. So every time the kingdom of God, the Spirit of God, invades a place or a person to prove or to show the kingdom, what it's doing is it's making all things the way it will be when Jesus returns. If someone's sick, if there's pain, if there's hurt, if there's darkness, despair, oppression, He just makes it right. Because this is what the kingdom's like. Here's a taste of the kingdom. Let's flip everything the way it's supposed to be. But proof of Jesus is a little bit different. The proof of Jesus comes by the Spirit of God manifesting in you through the Spirit, through the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? All things that come naturally to everyone in this room. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? That's all of you, you know. <laughs> right when you wake up in the morning, you are just full of self-control and kindness. Gentleness, you know, you're just... <sighs> the Spirit of God comes inside of us, makes us like Jesus, and it's proof of something different. So people say, why are you giving me free hot cocoa? <laughs> Anyways, hopefully there's something much more than that. Where the people in the Middle East are faced with people who are stealing from them, who are robbing them, who are coming to murder them, to force them to do something. And yet a Christian walks up and says, I love you. The King loves you. I'm here to be your servant. Whatever you need. Do you see how different the picture this is? Do you see how perverted the picture of Jesus is? In America, whenever the biggest thing people know about the church is people who are attacking them, ridiculing them, judging them, condemning them. Are you seeing this? But when the Spirit of God fills us, He makes us look unlike this world. The Spirit of God makes you look like an alien. That's the point. They go, this person can't be from here because there's no one who's that nice. There's no one who truly loves me without getting something from me. Why would this person want to help me and care for me this way? The Spirit of God in you is what gives proof of who Jesus is. But the problem is this. We are not yielding. We are not listening. We are not following the Spirit of God. So we look nothing like You know, uh, the other ways that we're going to be supernatural, we're supposed to be supernatural, you know, in our unity. I already explained it this morning. I mean, again, just, there's, there's such a test, there's such a proof of, of something not of this world for people to be unified with no other reason. The only other thing I know about that unifies people is greed and money. If there's something in it, if there's a way to, to, to pay people off, if there's a way to profit, I've seen people unified over that all the time. 
because there's something in it for them. But to see people unified with nothing to gain just because they're compelled by one common thing, Jesus. That would testify and preach to any loved one in your life who, who you've been praying for salvation. If you would just start loving them, if you would just start to, to show unity in your marriage, in your home, with your children, with your church, it would speak volumes to them. We have someone on staff here at the church, you know. Uh, who is able to see change in me. We, we uh, used to spend way too much time in debate. We used to argue over, you know, uh, if God is real and I mean, we used to spend hours. It was so, so exhausting. Spend hours debating and arguing. You know, and he'd come back a hundred different times. And, you know, each time I'd have an answer, he'd change his argument. And then after a while, we just got tired of it and stuff. <laughs> but the moment that he saw me change, that's all he needed. He said, there's something in you that I don't see in other people. What is that? And I had an answer for that one. And that changed And for us, it's that simple. It's, it's learning to just be willing to follow the Scriptures and the Spirit of God. If we would just be willing to, to take our hands off the steering wheel and give up just a little control and see what happens. It's life-changing. We're called to be supernatural in our safety, the way that we love each other. Of course, you know, imagine if the church was a safe place. Imagine if you brought your neighbor and you weren't afraid of them getting offended. Anyways, imagine, imagine if you could promise your neighbor, hey, I promise you everyone's going to love I never had that with my friends. I was always like, well, maybe in a year I'll bring you to church. Maybe we're going to get better in a year. I'm not sure if they can handle you yet. You know, the biggest reason that, that I'm here on staff now was I used to be the youth pastor. And the youth group we had was very rough. It was a rough group of kids. It was uh, just very rough. And we had a lot of them. And we got so big that we started having the parents want to come to church. So we started bringing them to the church. And the saddest thing I ever saw, these families started leaving one by one. And I asked them, what happened? What happened? Each of these families were coming into a place that wasn't safe. They're coming in and seeing the wrong image of Jesus. And I said, that has to change. And it takes time. It, it, it takes tons of time. Pastor Larry had already been devoting his heart, and the church had already made huge turns up to that point. But he needed help. And so we had to team up, and we're, we're still trying to get ourselves there, right? But if we would just look like Jesus, the world would overflow the churches that we have. I mean, there wouldn't be enough room if we would just give them the right picture of who God is. We're taking notes. Here's the three reasons that we must be supernatural. Here's the reasons you cannot believe here and believe that you're able to follow Jesus fully without the Spirit of God. Here's the first one. Because our King leads His people by His Spirit. That's the first reason. 
If you are sincere about following Jesus in your life, you need the Spirit of God helping you do it. Because you cannot do it on your own. And we see it clearly throughout, throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. Okay? The Spirit of God is here to enable us to be His witnesses, to be His followers. It's the Spirit of God that enables us. The second reason, we need to be supernatural because what our King asks of us is impossible without His help. That's the crazy thing about Jesus. He, he makes this, this task of following Him and being like Him. It's so impossible unless He's helping us do it. And His Spirit, His Spirit is something that we must have to accomplish that. Here, here's the third reason. Because His Spirit brings proof of Him and His kingdom. If we would just look like Him, if this church would just begin to act the way that the book of Acts shows us the church is to, if we would love each other, we'd be unified, if we would begin to sacrifice for each other, there would be change in us, but in the world around us. You guys said about the book of Acts. Acts 8. I'll start wrapping things up on this one. But I want to explain something very simply. We've been, we've been unpacking all this different stuff about the church and about the kingdom. One of the beautiful things about the church is that we are to be, we are designed to be so different from each other. Like, that's the point. We are supposed to see things differently, to, to have you know, different priorities, different strengths and weaknesses and abilities. Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, it goes in and talks about all the different spiritual giftings. It's talking about, hey, if you're gifted to serve people, if you're gifted to give money, if you're gifted to sing, if you're gifted to, to teach the Word, I mean, the whole point is you will have a specific part of, of this puzzle. You'll have a specific thing into you that will be the most important thing in the world. You guys have no, no idea how many calls they get each week. The church is great, but what if we could just do this? <laughs> oh, come on. Really? Okay. I get this every week. You know, three or four ideas. You know what? The church is so great, but what about missions? You need to go on missions trip. That is very important. And I'm like, you're right. You're completely right. That is very important. That, that's what I'm going. You know what? We need more community. You know, the church is great. I love gracious. But what if we just spend more time fellowshipping together? You're right. That's a great idea. You know, <laughs> someone's like, you know what? I love gracious. We need more prayer. We need to pray more. It's like, yes, the church is great, but we need social justice. We need to be, you know, we need to adopt children. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. My answer to everyone is, do it. It's. It's lots of fun to come to the pastor's office and say, hey, why don't you do this? <laughs> why don't you do this? <laughs> no, you take it. No, you take it. You take it. <laughs> this is the point. This is what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God comes and takes people who even disagree on good things. I'm telling you. If I, you know, if I get the evangelist in the room with the teacher, they're going to fight all day long. The evangelist, what are you doing? We can be out there saving souls. The teacher's like, you have to know what you're doing before you save souls. That is the point. Because the Spirit of God is able to take all of us who are completely different, even in good ways. We have different callings, different folks, different you know, passions. And He takes us and He does what we can't do. He knits us together. 
The reason that even Grace Church doesn't look the way that it needs to look is because you are not obeying the Spirit of God. Step up. Step up. If, you know, if it's as simple as speaking out, you know, I love when people come to the office and say, hey, what about this? That's a great first step. But then obey God to the next, and the next, and the next, and the next. Obey God to come into greater unity with this church. Obey God to sacrifice, to give up comfort, and to do what God's called you to do here. Obey God in being nice, <laughs> in creating a safe environment where people aren't scared to step up. The biggest reason that there's people in this room right now who are called to do something here and who won't do it is because they're scared of the way that people treat them. Church isn't safe. Obey God to overcome your fears. The people in this room are, are not obeying God because you are gripped with fear. Well, I tried it one time. Well, well, you know, I did this at this church and I got burned and the pastor was a jerk. Truth is, I might be a bigger jerk than that pastor, okay? But I care about you. And if I mess up, you know, I will apologize. But here's the thing. If in your little way, in my little way, we can just choose to obey God. Choose to obey His Word. Choose to let the Spirit of God speak to us and act on it, even with fear and uncertainty and doubt. Things will happen. And the most important thing is this. Jesus will be lifted up. People will change. But as long as we are concerned with ourselves, we're no good to anyone. It's selfishness that doesn't step past fear. It's selfishness that doesn't risk or make sacrifice to serve Jesus and the King and others. It's selfishness that stays at home on life every night because you don't want to be bothered. I am the same way. <laughs> I promise you. I am worse than you, okay? I like to go home and take a nap today too. Sleep right on through six o'clock. But here's what happens. When the love of Jesus grips us, when Jesus begins to compel us, push us, and move us, everything moves out of the way. So this morning, you guys can stand. Here's how we're gonna do it.